We're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we are good. This is episode 12. Wow. Oh, that one about those podcasts. And my next guest is my homie's mother. Shout out to Kelly. She can't be here because she's a hardworking woman. Um, <laughs> her mother is a student here at Palo Alto. She has over 100 credits and they still won't let her transfer to Tamusa. That is asinine. My next guest is Brenda Pacheco. How are you? Fine. Good morning. Good morning. I know it's 9-12. <laughs> the earliest I've ever recorded a podcast. Yeah, this is the earliest I've ever given an interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what have you been up to lately? Um, I spend a lot of time in the, uh, the Palo Alto Learning Center, or the what I call the Library uh, Computer Center. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been extremely supportive of me because I'm not um, tech savvy for lack of a better word and they're so patient with me you know I call them over all the time I raise my hand and call them over and, and I'm sure that some of the questions I have are quite elementary to them you know but they don't say anything they just say yes ma'am you know they they help me figure it out so they're part of my success uh, because without them I I probably wouldn't be doing as well as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter, of course, is not near as um, tolerant of me. You know, she'll, <laughs> she'll say things like, Mom, you should already know that. You need to take some computer for dummies class or something because you need to learn how are you going to graduate you know, from, with your bachelor's if you don't become more techie. And I just say, well, you know, we'll figure it out as I go along. But yeah, everybody here at the, at the institution has been extremely supportive in many ways. That's awesome. Um, when did you decide to go back to school? I had retired uh, after 20 years uh, with um, a job in customer service with a group called American Funds Capital Group Mm -hmm. and um, retired from there, took a little break. Um, My mother had just passed and she um, had Alzheimer's and if you've never had to take care of a person with Alzheimer's, um, it's overwhelming. I don't wish it on my worst enemy. But my sisters and I took care of her until she passed. And so I was just physically, mentally, spiritually spent. I just was exhausted. So I thought I'd take off a couple of months. And then uh, every intention of getting a job, another Mm -hmm. job. And so after about three months, I started to apply. And uh, I wasn't getting any callbacks or interviews. And I thought, well, something must be wrong with the universe. You know, I'm wonderful. You know, who (laughs) who wouldn't want to hire me? I mean, I have all this experience. And... And I have good work ethic, and all of my recommendation letters were, you know, were, were stellar. And, and so I thought, you know, why don't, why don't they want me to be one of their employees? I realized that it's my age. It was my age. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was what, 57? So I started looking for something different, and someone said, well, maybe you should substitute until you find a regular job. Uh, because I well, didn't retire to retire. I retired, as I said, to rest. And my daughter was still in college, and I needed to help her if I could. And... And so um, I applied to be a substitute for the Harlandale District. And after I'd been there uh, probably a year at the um, middle school that I was mostly at, um, they offered me a job. And the funny part of this is, and well, you may not find it funny, but um, I don't like children that much. <laughs> I mean, they're okay, but that's why I only had one. I don't relationship with them. Yeah, I do. And so I never wanted in my whole life to be a teacher, never, a teacher mm-hmm. or a nurse. But I'm a good, 
I'm a good trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's a difference. When you're a trainer, you have a captive audience that wants to learn. When you're a teacher, most of those children don't want to learn yeah. <laughs> at 9 o'clock in the morning. True. But I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a st- stab at this because I was an assistant for special education um, students. Mm-hmm. And um, these are the students that were in the integrated classroom. And I thought, I can do this. Uh, and what was part of my, my, um, my, not inspiration, I guess it would be inspiration, but what I felt like I really needed to do was help teach these children how to read. Um, in our district, and I, I can only speak of our district, my district, uh, many, many, many of the students are not reading at grade level. And I was shocked to, to find that out. And I thought, oh no, I can't go through life not trying to help these children learn how to read at grade level, yeah. their lexile level. And so then after that, that was my goal, to do what I can in the classroom or at, at advisory period, help these children learn how to read at level, grade level. And so that's why I stayed for a couple of more years at that particular school, um, because I... I'm very passionate about education, but I'm mostly passionate about education on the South Side. Yeah. And I, I shouldn't, I know that's not the adult thing to say, but that's just where my heart is. And so I stayed for a couple more years and they allowed me to do a special reading program mm-hmm. at advisory to try to help these students that were um, selected for the program. And then after two years, um, I just couldn't take it anymore because there is little or no discipline. Um, the the uh, vice principals are very limited on what they can say and do to students who are uh, disruptive and disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, I just couldn't I couldn't deal with it anymore. I I just said I'm I'm old school. Um, and I would tell them often, you know, my child doesn't speak to me this to me this way in this manner. I certainly am not going to allow you to speak to me this way. Mm-hmm. But um, there was one particular situation where um, a young man, uh, as he was leaving the classroom because I called and and asked to have him removed, called me a stupid short bitch. (laughs) And so, uh, of course, all everybody finds out, you know, down the hallway, it's it's like a, that's a gossip mill, all the teachers, you know, found out what happened. And the next day they told me, don't be upset, Miss Pacheco, he's... He's been a problem for a while, and you're not the first person that he spoke to in that manner, and and don't don't be offended. And so I responded with, but I am offended. I said uh, he can call me, you know, stupid and 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 uh, bitch all he wants. That's his personal opinion. I said, but short? That's not <laughs> that's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. So I don't appreciate that. So it is kind of humorous, and you have to laugh it off, but. I don't think that I could have done that for 25 years like uh, teachers do. People are in education, you know, do it all their lives. And that's the kind of stuff you have to put up with. And yeah. I, I'm, not made, I'm not made that way. I just, uh, I, I couldn't have tolerated it for more than a couple of more years because I don't have blood pressure problems, but I found that a couple of times there were some incidents that occurred and I went to the nurse and my blood pressure was up. Oh so gosh. I thought, well, this is not for me. But yeah. I had always known that I was not you know, meant to be a teacher, but I, I am a good trainer. You yeah. know, I do, I do that well. I just can't do it with young folks. That's all. That makes sense. 
When you say your heart belongs on the south side, is that where you grew up? Absolutely. Where'd you go to school? I went to Harlandel. I started out at Wright Elementary. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Harlandel Junior High. I went to Harlandel High School, class of 74, cheerleader. Um, nice. And I always worked north all my life. Mm-hmm. I worked north. I traveled usually from 30 to 45 minutes to my job because that is where the jobs were that had great benefits and you yeah. know decent pay and and so I'm, I've been fortunate most of my life I I've been able to to find jobs that paid me a decent living a decent wage mm-hmm. so um, but I worked north all my life and I I never chose to to leave the south side this is this is my heart mm-hmm. so um, I'm always proud to say that I'm from the south side even when uh, it wasn't popular yeah. And now, of course, it is, and everybody wants to live here. Everybody wants to move here. Uh, no, I always knew I'd stay where, where I was raised. I always say where I was bred, because in Texas, you're not just raised; you're bred like cattle. So, yeah. but this is, this is where I belong. That's crazy. Um, Harlandale was it two years ago when I was going to Jamusa. I covered the frontier wall, and me, I'm from the west side, so I grew up off of the Chili Bowl. Uh huh. And I was like, man. Now that the, I mean the chili bowl's been dead for almost ten years or already ten years, mm-hmm. um, I was like, well, let me do a story on the frontier wall. And this is another historic rivalry. I didn't realize they tailgated at six a.m. all day. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And when tickets go on sale, they sell out. They there's a line for at least a couple of of blocks long, waiting to buy tickets for the. The Frontier Bowl. And so if you're lucky enough to be able to go into work late, you know, you can stand in line, buy your tickets, and then go to work. But um, that's a lot of waiting. Yeah. That's a lot of waiting. When you're working class folk, you can't always do that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty popular. And yes, we, we tailgate just like if it were a college game or a Dallas Cowboy game. You'd think it was it was like the Super Bowl or something. But yeah, we're very proud of Yeah. Of I school, really well our alma day. mater, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet you did eat well because yeah, we don't. I was on the Harlan We don't deep, We don't do finger foods, dear. We do <laughs> sausage and a tortilla. And oh my god, it's so good. And brisket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was on the Harlandale side mostly. Then I went to the because they were the home team, so I went to I went to McCullum for a little bit more later into the evening. But man, they were feeding me like crazy. But it was really cool. It was a, it was a good experience. It was a good game. It was funny that both of the teams were defeated. And winner got their first win of the season and bragging rights for a whole year. So that was really cool to be a part of as a, as a reporter. Um, where'd you go to after, what happens after high school? I went to SAC, actually. Right. I went to SAC and, uh, and had a great experience there, too. And, you know, would take courses uh, here and there because I always had to work. I, I was never... Of that student who didn't didn't work. My yeah. parents weren't in a, weren't in a position to support me and pay for college, so I always had to work full time. Um, and then um, one day I just stopped going. I'm not sure why, um, which I regret, of course, regret very much because then I had a child, mm-hmm. and it changes your life. How do you? Uh, and I had her late in life. I had her at 36. Okay. But um, I had made a decision that if I ever did have children that I would be committed to totally. And so, um, although I had support from my family, you know, a village helped me raise her, I was not going to work all day and then go to class 
and uh, not be with my child. Mm -hmm. You know, that was my choice. That was my commitment. And so I was with her all the time outside of work. We were inseparable. So I didn't take any courses. Now it's a little easier because you have, you know, internet courses and, you know, people do all they can to help you continue your your college education. But I, I was all about raising her and allowing her to be involved in everything she wanted to be involved in, dance, little league, you name it, you know, basketball. And there's not enough time in the day to do all, all that and go to school for me. Other women do it all the time. It just wasn't for me. And so, um, and um, the tragic part of it is that my company um, did tuition reimbursement up to $5,000 per semester. Wow. And all you had to do was maintain a C. I just had no time. Yeah. I had no time. So I waited until she graduated and I retired and and then I said okay my one bucket list item was to get a degree all my life Mm -hmm. and um, now I don't have an excuse you know she's grown I'm retired and now I'm gonna do it and I'm having the time of my life I love it I love it and I also love Palo Alto Mm -hmm. if I could stay here forever I would and if they became a four-year university, then I would be here. But they're not, so I have to move on. But I love the institution. Um, Do you see yourself working here? No. No? No. (laughs) People ask me, you know, well, what do you want to do after you graduate? I don't want to work. I want to volunteer, but I'm not going to... I don't want to work. You just want to get that degree. I want to get my degree because then I start a pattern. I start that cycle Mm -hmm. of degreed women in my family. Mm Um, so, and my daughter hasn't graduated quite yet, so yeah. um, then her daughter will graduate, and then her daughter's daughter will graduate, and I need to begin this cycle, but ultimately, it's it's my dream. It always has been. Um, growing up at home, when I was young, there was never a question of whether I was going to graduate from high school. It was an expectation. Yeah. So, you know, my parents or no one ever said, well, if you graduate, we knew that I would graduate. Being a college graduate, however, was never really discussed. They yeah. were happy that I was going to college, but they were very honest and they said, we don't have a fund for you, a college fund. You don't have that much savings. You can live here, of course, rent free. Just you know, buy you know, what you need, your basic needs, but you'll have to pay for it on your own because we can't help you. And there lies the dilemma for many minority students, especially on this side of town. Mm-hmm. Although your parents are supportive, they cannot be supportive financially. And that's the, that's, that's the dilemma for most of the students, I think. Maybe not most, but many students here on the South Side. What was it like for you as a, as a young adult going there right off the bat? Like to see your parents? I know for me, like if I know my parents can't support me financially, I won't even like bother to ask them because I don't want them to feel like, oh, I can't support my kid. You know, that brings up a really important point. Uh, I may get emotional here. The hardest thing a parent will ever have to do is tell you that they cannot help you attain your dream. I would have rather cut my right arm off than have to tell my child, I cannot help you, baby. I don't have the money. And I worked for a financial institution. But you have to have an additional $100 to invest in order to create a College America fund. 
And if you don't have that as a single mom, you just don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. For my parents, I knew all along that they weren't going to be able to help me out. And um, I had two other sisters. Um, so, you know, although morally they're supporting me, it would have been great if they'd had a little money put aside, um, you know, to help me pay for books and things like that. It just, it just didn't happen. But it was, it was more difficult for me to, to be able to swallow because I worked for a financial institution that provided all these college programs, you know, tax deferred or tax free programs. And still I didn't have enough money to set aside to create a College America account for her. So uh, truthfully, we have struggled. She has struggled all along because she's always had to work and she has. Mm-hmm. Since the day she graduated, my child has worked a full-time job to help, you know, pay for her education. Of course, it's financial aid, but, you know, and um, some scholarship, a couple of scholarships, but it's it's the hardest thing you'll ever do mm-hmm. is to have to tell your, your child, I can't help pay for college. Um, I saw that Kelly, um, she went to a lot of, um, private schools. Um, that, and that was a very, very conscious choice for me. Mm -hmm. As a single mom, um, I needed to be sure that I had a handle always on what was going on in her life. Mm -hmm. And also because education's always been important to me. But the company I worked for, I was very fortunate, gave me two bonuses a year in June and in December. Mm-hmm. Large bonuses. And I was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I paid for tuition. And people would tell me, well, you could use that money for something else. And I'd say, I could, but we're not going to do designer purses. We're not going to go on vacations. She can do that when she graduates and, and makes her own money. Mm-hmm. But right now, providing her with the best quality education I can afford is what's most important. A very wise woman once said a long, long time ago, uh, Ciro Rodriguez, the judge, uh, his wife, Carolina, was in education, mm-hmm. I guess most of her career. And she said something once that was very profound. And, and at the time, I didn't even think about having children. I never thought about having children. I wasn't one of those women yeah. who thought, well, I want to have babies and ne- never said that. And she said, that's what you owe your children. If you choose to have children, that is what you owe them. The best quality lifestyle you can afford and the best quality education you can afford. Mm-hmm. So, and it stayed with me. So I thought, it's, there's no guarantee that my child would do any better in private school than she would have done in public school. But it was a much smaller setting. Mm-hmm. It was much more intimate. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, any everything that I thought about a small private Catholic school did happen because we, the parents, were always extremely involved in all activities at the school. And we knew each other on a first-name basis. And I, I always tell people that Socially, I may have never hung out with those parents, some of those parents, but they all had my phone number mm-hmm. and I had theirs. So that if there was something to occur at school and I wasn't there, or if they saw my child doing something she wasn't supposed to be doing, I knew that I would be getting a phone call. I saw Kelly at recess and this is what she was doing. 
so that I could be right on top of it. Mm. So I always knew what was going on with my child. And that's important to a single mom. Very important to a single mom to, to always be aware of what's going on in your child's life. Um, private school also taught her great social skills because that's part of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. I know that my child could go anywhere in this country and get along because she learned early how to get along with everybody, all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. That I want her to live in a state like Mississippi? Heck no. <laughs> but that she could get along there? I'm absolutely confident that she could. So for me, that was that was that was my goal. That was my purpose for making the choice to send her to a small private school. And so far she's done okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually met her at um, the Saj Gala. Yes. She was a recipient that year, the same year you were. She was a recipient, yeah. yes. 2016. Uh -huh. And then that later on that year, she um, she informed me about the um, the General Motors event, the, the diversity one. So she went, I think it was 2015, going into 2016. I went from 16, going to 17. And, um, Great experience. Oh, yeah. I met some really dope people. And it was crazy because the year that I did it, it was different than hers in the sense that it was a competition. And um, so there's nine students from all over the country. And winner got a prize, and the prize was you choose whatever conference in the country you want to go to, and they'll pay for it, and they'll fly you out, everything. Wow. So not only did she... She was able to get me that opportunity to go to Detroit. Um, that led to me going to New Orleans for five days for the NABJ conference, which was amazing. It was like the best experience. It was even better than the Detroit one because I was there by myself. I had a lot of freedom. I was interacting with all these people I looked up to. It was awesome. Good for you. I'm glad to hear so, that. In a sense, that all happened because you made that investment into her two decades ago. And, and I raised her. I raised her that she should share all of the, the good things that happened in her life. Um, it's also part of her work ethic. She's not going to, to want to take all the glory all the time, mm -hmm. not going to step on anybody so that she could climb up that ladder someday, whatever that corporate ladder may be. That's not what we're about yeah. at all. Um, I think she's finally embraced the fact that I, and I tell her all the time, we're all born with a purpose. And I'm not a real religious person at all. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, me I'm either. not. <laughs> but I know that we're all born with a purpose and with many skills. Mm -hmm. And so... I've decided that I was born and she was born to serve our community. I don't care what she says. That's yeah. what we were born for. <laughs> but also that you're born with you're born with sometimes more than one talent, one skill. Mm -hmm. And um, this goes back to when I was preparing for my communion at San Jose Catholic School a long time ago. There was a nun. I don't even remember her name. I know that she was from an order from Mexico because um, she spoke hardly, you know, any English, English at all. But we we were preparing for communion, and she said um, that God 
makes us all and he gives us all at least one special talent and some of us more than a, more than one and that we need to grow and develop that talent and be thankful because that was intentional yeah, it's our baby that, that was intentional so um, she said because when you don't develop it then it's like slapping God in the face <laughs> and I remember when she said that I thought oh my gosh that's wow <laughs> It's like slapping God in the face, okay. <laughs> but once again, a very profound statement that stayed with me, you know, mm. throughout my life. And so uh, I remember when, when I thought Kelly was, was um, young, you know, old enough to understand that. And of course, that was probably age six. I told her, I said, <clears throat> especially in your case, because it appears as though you're going to have more than one talent or skill. Mm-hmm. So you're very blessed, Kel, because... You'll go through life and, and you'll do many things well. And you have to you have to respect that you have given, been given all those talents. And, you know, I think she's pretty special. I do. But she she does use many of her skills and her talents to, to, to get where she needs to be. But I also want her to share those with other people who maybe don't have those skills or talents. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think she's my child. She's her daughter's, you know, she's her mother's daughter. She is. <laughs> but uh, I think that's why she's been able to do what she does and, and doesn't have a problem. Uh, even if you're just an acquaintance, letting you know, you know, I hear there's this opportunity available. You know, maybe you should take a look at it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm real proud of her for that. I am. Um, you've been in the South Side your whole life. Um, what changes have bugged you? that you've seen in the South Side? Have bugged me? Yeah. Recently? (laughs) Well, recently, um, the the, uh, mass invasion of many folks I don't think care at all about Mm -hmm. the South Side. But uh, now it seems like this is a place to be. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with world heritage, res, re, you know, recognition status. Um, so I'm a little offended mm-hmm. because prior to all that, most of those folks probably wouldn't have even come to visit the South Side. Um, many of the people and organizations around the city who talk about preservation, you know, of buildings and preservation of sites in San Antonio. Probably never even came to San Jose Mission to yeah. tour or visit. But now, you know, everybody knows about gentrification and, and um, it's alive and well now on the South Side. Um, I'm very territorial. Same. I've been all my life. Same. And um, if you're going to come here to live, I want you to come for the right reasons. Yeah because you care about my community and you're gonna make things better for my community. But if you're coming only because of the almighty dollar, then I'd rather you just stay away. Yeah. So um, I know it doesn't belong to me, but yes, it does. It does. Yes, it does. For sure. So yeah, that's how I feel about what's happening, happening currently. Um, in the past, um, I, I've, always been kind of politically involved 
it didn't take a genius to figure out that the parks were nicer on different sides of town, yeah. that the roads were better on different sides of town, that um, that restaurants, you know, and I'm not talking about real expensive restaurants, but just a variety of restaurants didn't choose to come and, uh, you know, build a location on Roosevelt or Military Drive. They'd go elsewhere. Yeah. It is what it is. But... Uh, to have been able to be exposed to different types of foods uh, and not have to go, you know, 45 minutes away would have been kind of nice, but they just didn't occur. Now, of course, it is occurring. <clears throat> but at a very young age, then I was a very became very aware of the differences uh, between the different sides of town. It didn't. It doesn't take a like a really really smart person to be able to figure that out. Yeah. And so, so that has a, had always bothered me. So when I became a member, or I was a, a representative on the Tricentennial Commission, mm-hmm. I was appointed by um, Councilwoman Pinkadon. And as I said before, I explained to you, I just didn't really know what to expect when yeah. I was appointed. But even from the very first few meetings, what I wanted to see happen was that if there was an event that we marketed so that everybody would come to the event regardless of the side of town that we were on after all we were celebrating our 300th anniversary so my goal was not to just program events okay well this will be for the south side of town this will be for the east side of town no i wanted to plan events that were more centrally located help plan events that were more centrally located so that everybody could come together and enjoy the same activity, whether it was a concert or you know, movie night. It didn't matter to me because I just felt like in the 300th year, we didn't have to focus so much on segregation and, and different parts of town. That yeah. was my goal always. Um, in fact, when we began first talking about doing a money-making project and First, you know, we said, okay, we need to do a gala, we need to do this, and and we all had ideas, of course. We, we started out, well, maybe we should just do something at, more centrally located, maybe at a downtown park, and uh, plan it and so that anybody who wants to come can come. Well, I know that if you live at 1604 and 410, that's, that's a drive, no, that's a drive. And maybe that's why a lot of people from that area don't come downtown or to the south side. And I thought, let's do bus service. Let's pay for bus service so that they can park the car at the mall. You know, they can park over there at the rim and then take a bus in and they don't have to pay for parking. They don't have to worry about, you know, you know how long, how far they're going to have to walk to the event. Those are the kinds of things I thought about because what good is it for us to keep up all our traditions here on the south side? If nobody else is going to be exposed to them, yeah, what's 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 the good? If you've never been to a quinceanera and 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 you don't really care, but you don't care because you don't know what it's about, what it truly means. Yeah, I would want someone who's not ever been to one to come, right? When when we do programs, especially for the indigenous here on this side of town, and I speak to this because I'm thirty eight percent Native American. Okay, and then and you do a program. I don't just want the indigenous community to show up. I want everybody to show up. Because then what good is it? I already know what's going on. 
but you don't. So that's what I was trying, hoping would occur whenever we started to program for the tricentennial was that people who are not normally exposed to a certain type of event or program, those are the persons I wanted to come yeah. to under, better understand. So although now you want to come, you want to live here, and I can do nothing about that, Yeah. but you could have come sooner and tried to understand the culture of this area, the flavor, the soul of this area, because that was more important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that um, the indigenous people, how do you feel about their history pretty much being erased right in front of us? So, all that occurred not just because of white folks, let me tell you. Uh, we have some fault in that too. Uh-huh. Because I come from a family that can prove their their lineage back to Lapan Apache. And some of some of the people in my my family don't embrace that. Because uh-huh. because who knows why? I don't know, it's not cool. Because I from what I understand, back in the day, maybe the nineteen forties and fifties, it, it wasn't accepted. I don't know. I just know that now it seems like my generation of family is embracing that. But as you get older, there are some things that you become much more resentful about. And that, of course, is one of them. Because I know firsthand what it's like to get your property and your house taken away from you and have no say in it because it happened to my family. We were the last uh, family, Pacheco Guerrero family, to live on what I call the compound right outside San Jose Mission. And in 1970, my dad and his brothers knocked down the casita, because it was a casita, I'm not gonna lie, it was a casita, and you know the roof was patched and stuff, and my dad decided we were gonna build us a new home. So in 1970, we had a new built, a home built. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't extravagant, it was never gonna appear in better homes and gardens or anything like that, <laughs> but it was a nice three little three bedroom home. It was brand new. 1971, we get a letter from a government entity that says, we've decided we need to take your property. We've condemned it under eminent domain. And so uh, you're going to have to move. And this is how much we're offering you. So my father said, there must be a mistake here. We just built this house a year ago. You need to call him, Brenda. You need to call him. And I was only 15. He said, tell him they made a mistake. Were your parents... Um, My parents... Was English their second language? No. Okay, our, okay, okay. our first language is always English. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they could speak Spanish, don't get me wrong. They yeah, could yeah. converse daily, but... I just thought because they told you to call them... No, because my dad was a typical Hispanic, machismo man, and he was liable to say something offensive. And so he asked me to call. Okay. And I said, Daddy said there must be a mistake. They said, no, there was. there's no mistake. And I said, but you all just gave us permits and stuff, building permits to build this brand new house. Yeah. And now you're telling us we're going to go? He's, they said, yes. And I said, well, why did you do that then? Why didn't you tell the builder then, the contractor then? He says, ma'am, we owe you no explanations. Four. Well, there were other houses in the area right behind San Jose Mission. There were many homes, and all of them also were descendants of the first families of San Antonio, as was mine. Yeah. And... From what I understand, they offered some of them as little as $4,000, not only just their, their house, but the property. 
And granted, they were they were casitas, they were shacks, they were not, you know, they had not been renovated in years, but that was their home. That was probably property that had been given to them, you know, for many generations before. But they didn't know any better. Yeah. So my mom and my aunt did go around and talk to several of them the owners of the home and said, you know, let's band together. Let's hire an attorney and, and see what we can do about this. My dad's case, though, was a little different because my dad didn't want any money. He just didn't want to leave. He, that was where he was born. His brothers and sisters were born. That was where his mother was born. That that was the neighborhood where, and he just didn't want to leave. He said, just build around us. Build the park around us. And they said, no. Um... You're going to have to go. Long story short, it was in litigation for a long, long time. And finally, and you know how I guess sometimes they set aside monies for a project and then the government takes the money away. And my mom didn't actually have to move from the house or move from the property until 1992. But in the meantime, you can make no upgrades. You can do no renovations because basically the house doesn't, the property doesn't belong to anywhere. It belongs to that government agency, right? So we, we couldn't... Um, couldn't do anything to make it better after several years. Um, long story short, my, my mom decides at the last minute that she wants to take the house with her because that's where we grew up. That's where she raised us. And uh, my parents had already become divorced in the interim. And so last minute, my do- my mom says, you know, I want to take my house. I'm going to have it moved somewhere else. And I said, okay, we'll just cut your short your check by the amount, you know, the appraisal praise them out of the house and then we give you a lesser check and so that's what occurred my mom actually physically picked up the house and had it moved out to La Soya Buena Vista but we didn't have a choice we had no idea that was going to occur because if my dad had known certainly he wouldn't have gone through all that signed a 30-year note to build a home if a government agency was going to be able to come and just take it away from us and that's what happened so I know firsthand, we know firsthand how that feels. It must have felt to indigenous people, Native Americans who had owned their property, their farm, their land forever. Yeah. And then someone says, uh, sorry, but we're taking it. And the word I kept on hearing was, it's for the greater good. What is that? Who knows what that is? Let's, let's, I want to see that definition somewhere. What is the greater good? So consequently, my family, my dad, my sister, my sisters never came back to the church because that was our church. San Jose was our church. We never, they never came back because they were so bitter that no one was in our corner. No one came and said, you know, this is not right. You can't do this. No one. I'm the only one who's come back and now I'm an active member of the church, but I know exactly how that feels. So when I speak to people today about what's occurring with the whole move to the South Side, that's one of the things I'm really passionate about. And I t- I've told the councilwoman, you know, she's a friend of mine. I've told her and other people who are in positions that can make decisions like that. I do not want to see one more person displaced on this side of town. If they choose to sell, they choose to move because they want to make some money, that's your business. Yeah. But for families, elderly couples who are comfortable where they are and want to die there I do not want them to be told you have to move because I I will be a little upset about that 
Now I'll jump on that bandwagon because I know how that feels. Yeah, I saw I saw that happen to the people on Mission Trails. Um, I was working for this nonprofit called Follow Media at the time, and we wrote a story on it. Well, my boss wrote the story. I did a lot of um, reporting and photography mainly. There's this one woman. They displaced her all the way northeast side. And that was a little more difficult to deal with, though, uh, legally, because they didn't own the land or property. Yeah. The, the person who owned the property or the investor oh, yeah, or the yeah. owner, you know, that that's his conscience, right? He was willing to sell. I'm talking about those right. couples that have worked all their lives and finally paid off their home. You know, they no longer have a mortgage. They're comfortable. And then someone's going to come and say, you well, for the greater good, we're going to build a park. Uh, no who's greater good and who are you talking about because no that's not the way it should be that's not part of the American dream Mm -hmm. so I have strong feelings about all of not just the American Indian or the indigenous that were displaced and run off their property Mexicanos you know in this area you know it it happened it happened a lot yeah so yeah I feel real strongly about that yes I'm gonna give you a story it's my friend. She was on one of my episodes. She gave me a little sticker. Uh, this is for the West Side. But... Oh, mi casa no se vende. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mi marido no se vende. Yeah, yeah. That's how. That's how I feel. That is exactly how I feel because it's only about the almighty dollar. You don't yeah. care anything about this neighborhood. No. You do not. So and they have these these companies that move in, and then they give jobs to people from outside of San Antonio. What, yeah, you know what, what, what greater good is that? You don't want to get me started on that because yeah, I, I when I have when I have strong feelings or when I, I'm passionate, I'm very passionate. There's no in between for me either. Yeah. It's this or that. It's, there's no gray. So um, yeah, I love this. I want a T-shirt that says this. You want that sticker? I'll give it to you. I can get another one for my friend. That's great. Yeah, mi barrio no se vende. Yeah. Um. So my friend, uh, wait, my friend. Where was I going with this? Oh. Another story that I wrote in 2017 was on um, Dead Tree, which is the only bookstore on the South Side. Absolutely. Oh, my Kelly and I, we don't, you don't want to start me off on that. No, I actually do. But um, before we start on that, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew that there was one bookstore on the South Side, because I think it was my friend Gabby, we were texting back and forth, and she was going to Purdue at the time, and I remember her telling me, you know, there's only one bookstore on the South Side, and I'm like... That's a lie. Like, what are you talking about? And then I looked it up. I was like, holy shit, she's right. Maybe two months later, I ended up writing the story. I did research. Um, this was in 2017. Um, between the east side, south side, and west side, there's only one bookstore. Then you go north central up. Mm-hmm. It's like 1617. Mm-hmm. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. This uh-uh. is nuts. Uh-uh. There used to be one in South Park Mall. Yeah, yeah um, uh-huh. that's the one that Ray Saldana and the uh-huh. Southside kids got, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, there used to be one. Um, Walden Books. Yes, and, and it closed. I mean, and we'd go there all the time. That that issue is not just an issue created by the, what I call the establishment. Mm-hmm. That's our issue also. Mm-hmm. Because parents must take their children or introduce them to bookstores young in life. That's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Sure, you have the bookmobile that goes to each elementary and you can check out books, but if you don't take your children and expose them to what libraries have to offer, that's your fault. Yeah. 
So I understand it's all about making money and making a profit, and that's why <coughs> that's why national bookstores don't don't come here. You know, that's why they go to the quarry and other places. I understand that, but. We need to have some sort of campaign where we can get information out to parents mm -hmm. and let them know we need this and let me tell you why we need this so that you don't have to go all the way to Broadway to have price books to get a, a book that your child needs for, for class or needs to read you know, for your ninth grade English. There's no reason why we should have to do that. Yeah. And I realize now that with the San Antonio Public Library, you know, they they provide all kinds of online books. I realize that. But it was a detriment before all that was created to us because we didn't have anything or any place to go that was close to us yeah. where our parents were willing to drive us. So, yeah, the city ought to be ashamed that there's only one bookstore on the South Side. Yeah. Something should have been done that about, about that a long time ago. But, as I said, San Antonio Public Library does offer many programs now. Um, the problem is if you, know, you don't have a computer, then you can't reserve the book. Yeah. Or you can't read it online. Or you still have to consider those families that don't have you know, access to all those devices. You know, People think that everybody has access to a device in their home. That's not the case. Not on the south side. I can speak to that because I know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's tragic. That is tragic. So yeah, Kelly and I, since she was, since she was old enough to get her own, you know, library card, I took her to the library. But many parents don't do that. Yeah. So it's we have to take some, we have to take some responsibility for that. Some fault in that too. Yeah. We do. Oh man. Um, segue to something, you know. Um, what good have you seen, you know, lately in Southside, you know, or in the last? In your lifetime, at least, what good have you been proud of? I've been proud of some of the cleanup, uh, especially on the main corridor, like Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. um, People that own those properties, I don't know if they're being forced or not, but especially the businesses, to clean up their businesses and make it more visually appealing. Mm -hmm. That's not just for tourists. That's for us. That's for us, those of us who live there. Um, great things are happening here at Palo Alto College. Great things are happening there. Very inclusive. They try to commit, create community programs uh, where you know community feels welcome and invited to come in and participate. Um, Texas A&M, what a gift! What a gift! Yeah. You know they could have gone anywhere else in town, but they chose to come here. Um, it's, it's a gift. Palo Alto and Texas A&M are gifts to the South Side. And, and I only hope that more people that live in this area choose to, to, to invest their money into sending their children, you know, students to these, to these schools because they are both quality. Mm -hmm. um, and not just in, in, in teaching, but in staff, you know, at, at all levels. I think that I think that we are becoming more vocal, and because we are, uh, those powers that be are starting to listen. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be 
be a part of a particular organization as in the 70s, 1670s, like COPS and LULAC, great organizations, but um, a lot of people sometimes didn't have the ability to go to those meetings and, you know, uh, be a part of or just chose not to. But still now I think that we're becoming much more vocal, which makes a difference because, you know, that whole thing about the the squeaky wheel, you know, wheel, you know, people will listen. So I, I think I am very excited about that, that folks now believe, truly believe that if they say something, it might make a difference. And in the past, I don't think that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, more neighborhood associations, I think, uh, becoming involved, participating and asking important questions about, you know, crime in our area, you know, who's going to take care of that? What do I do if I see that someone's dumped their trash in my front lawn? I, I see I see great things happening on the south side. But, you know, should have happened long ago, but yeah. it's happening now. So, you know, I have to be grateful for that. Um, things that I'm, we still need to work on, though, I think. Um, you know, as a south sider, there are many still. There are, there are many. Um, I think that we need to pay our teachers a lot more money because if you pay them a lot more money, then you get more quality. And I'm not saying that now we don't have that, but not everybody really cares about educating the Southside child. Mm. I want those teachers to come and be enthused and excited and 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 teach well, teach every day, teach well every day because they love these students and they want them to succeed. They want them to, to be the best that they can. Because I have worked now at a, at a local middle school, I don't think that happens all the time. Yeah. But I think we don't attract those teachers because we don't pay them better. Yeah. I don't want you to pay them what the national average is. I want you to pay them the best you can so that we do entice and we do encourage those cream of the crop teachers, those new teachers right out of college who who still have dreams and are enthusiastic. Those are the ones that I would like to come to our schools because our students need them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that we need to do better at that. Um, once again, I'm as an adult, I probably shouldn't just be focusing on just the South Side, but that's what I care about. That's your home. Yeah, right? that's my home. No, that's, and that's, I, for a split second I felt kind of not guilty but um me i'm all about the west side i'm all about the 07 zip code that's where i grew up that's what made me who i am um i'm all about that zip code um everybody else is second place second fiddle to them because they're a priority yeah so um i think that's innate i think that's just part of our nature as a human being that you you're more you are more dedicated. You are more concerned about the area in which you grew because you know that's that's your family. That's those are your people, yeah. and that's how I feel. But you know, we have a lot of attention now. Mm-hmm. But I don't want us to forget where that attention <clears throat> should go directly. Yeah. And to me, for me, it's education and 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 uh, being involved in in our you know our students and not just me. I don't just mean the scholars in, in our in our area, you know, those kids that are considered um, um, science, technology, math, you know, those yeah. STEM students, all students, because I think that we have a forgotten group of kids, and those are the kids who 
are never going to be scholar. They make maybe B's and C's, but they don't cause any problems. They're good students. They come to class every day. They go to class every day. They're good students, but because they're not either risk at risk or they're not scholar, people forget about them. Yeah. So focus on those students also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of dreams and things I, I would like to see happen. Um, you know, before I pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those are just some of the things that I that I see that are still going on still today. I usually um, end each episode. I tell my guests, "Talk your shit." Talk your shit's basically. You can, you know, boast about something great that's happening, or you can just, you know, (laughs) rant about something, or whatever, whatever you, however you want to interpret that. Because, in fact, uh, this is the week of the uh, Dia de los Muertos, the ofrenda, Mm -hmm. Um, San Jose Mission, the National Park Services, uh, invites all the descendants of the early settlers of, of the mission to come in and set up altars in the granary at San Jose and we do. Mm-hmm. What I found over the years is that you as a parent need to educate and inform your offspring um, as to the importance of who their ancestors were and what they did, little or small. You know, they didn't have to be a politician or anything in order to have importance, but what they contributed to, to the family to make you who you are. Because that's your responsibility. And Mostly adults and seniors, you know, become involved in where we came from and who we are and lineage, lineage and, you know, things like that. I think it needs to start much earlier and it's your responsibility as a parent to do that. You need to talk about where your grandfather came from. So he migrated from Coahuila and he came through Laredo and ended up in Greytown. And your children need to know that because mm-hmm. then once you pass, it's gone forever yeah. because we don't document our history and of course in the early days because we couldn't right we mexicanos and native americans because we didn't read or write in the english language but now we do and so you need to start documenting your family's history because once you're gone you can only guess as to how your family arrived where they are here what they did what the where they are now where they live now and so we, I think we've not done a very good job of that as adults, you know, telling our children, you know, doing research. Now everybody can do research if you have a PC or you can go to the library. You yeah. do research. Downtown Library has a whole staff dedicated to helping you do research. And you need to find out about where you came from. And, and now I see it happening more and more, but I still think that there are those families. And, and so maybe they don't because... Perhaps something bad happened in their family. Maybe something they don't especially want to talk revisit, about. Yeah. Right, revisit. Bad things happen in every family. Yeah. That's just life. So you're not proud of it. Okay, but that, that doesn't mean that you can't, you can't recreate that history for your children or your grandchildren because we've done such a poor job of it. And I'm saying, when I say us, I mean minorities. Mm-hmm. We need to begin documenting our lives and what happened in the past as far back as we can because it's important so that's once again that's a parent's fault I'm all about parent involvement you know I'm all about being involved in all aspects of your child's life because 
I feel real strongly about having children. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you can have you should have children if you're not prepared to have oh, children. Yeah, for sure. It's a 24-hour day job. You're going to be tired all the time. And I am not one of those um, one of those adults who say, "Oh yes, children are great and you should have them." And no. I'm not one of those. I'm going to have a four-legged child. And yeah, I'm not one of those. I just think that you need to be emotionally prepared to have yeah. children. Financially, well, that's another issue there. But emotionally, you have to be prepared to bring a life into this world because it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared, then it's extremely difficult. You know, my daughter will swear that she grew up and she's fine even in a single parent home. But it's so much easier, I'm sure, than when there are two parents involved because I'm exhausted. Still today, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm having to do everything for her. So you need to think about those things. Yeah. I'm real passionate about that. I, you need to think about that because, you know, it's it, it's still today a really, I want to say bad world, but a dangerous world. And so before you, you choose to bring a child into this world, you need to think really hard about it and, and uh, be prepared. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. That's a great way to end it. We'll end yeah. it on that note. That wraps it up for episode 12. Love you guys. Stay brown. Yay. <laughs> that was great. Yeah.